0: Praise God. We thank you, Lord, for your love, your wonderful love for us today. Lift your hands and praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, yield to the Spirit in your rejoicing, in your praising, in lifting up of holy hands. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord. We didn't deserve it. We could never earn it. And that's what makes it love. Your employers don't give you a paycheck because they love you. You earned it. You expect it. And you're going to be upset if they don't pay you when they're supposed to pay you on Friday, right? That's no sign of love. In fact, I don't, I don't even need you to like me. Just pay me. Huh? Okay. Pay me what you owe me. But when it comes to the love of God, many times... And when it comes to us receiving from God, we feel like we have to show God and convince God that we're worthy. Sometimes your kids can do that to you and you wanna catch it while they're young so they don't become performance oriented. You know, I catch it in Keith sometimes because he so wants to please me that he goes overboard to try to get me to, to like him or to, to show attention to him, you know? And, and, I'll, and I'll, re, I'll celebrate with him, but then I'll sit him down and I'll say, Keith, you know dad loves you and I could never, ever, ever love you any more than I love you right now. Even when you have days where you're not so obedient to me and you know, you're pulling your sister's hair out or you know, I mean, I never stop loving you. I might not be able to reward you because then I'll be teaching that that behavior's appropriate But even when I'm teaching you and even when I'm correcting you, I'm doing it out of my love for you because I want you to grow up strong and whole, amen, and independent of other people uh, and and they don't determine your success in your mind. Nobody owes you anything, amen. Now, at the same time, that's a balance because you have to teach your kids to accept help, I tried to give a guy money, uh, some money one time, and I did it privately. He was separated from his spouse, and he told me he was so happy because he was going to get to spend the weekend with his daughter. It was one, one girl, his daughter. And, um, and I waited till I had the chance to go to him, and it was a lot to me, really. It wasn't a lot of money, but to me it was. And, and real discreetly, I said, hey, man, here, I want to give you this to help you, man. Take your daughter to... How did I know he needed it? Cause he worked the same job I did, and I knew he and I knew how much I made. <laughs> and if I had a daughter and didn't get to ever see her, I would need all the help I could get. You know, so I said, "Hey, man, here I want to give you this." It was only twenty bucks, you know, um, but um, I mean, it was a lot to me, and I just wanted to bless him. And and he got really upset at me, and he said, "I don't need no handouts." And I said, "Man, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to give you a handout." I said. I'm just trying to help you to have a good time, maybe go to the movies with your daughter or something like that. Some little extra money, get some popcorn while you're there, you know. I mean, don't you hate it when you have to take your kids to the movie and it's like, can I have some popcorn? No. <laughs> can I have a Coke? No. You know? <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, God wants to bless us, you know, so we could have fun with our kids. And I just wanted to, I just wanted to give him a little extra money. Well, he would not take that. And it actually like it it it, it like hurt my heart. Like I felt like I was hurt, you know. And when I walked away, the Holy Spirit said, um, if it made you feel that way, how much more do you think it, it made me feel? Because I'm the one told you to do that. That was my gift to him, and I was using you to do it. You know? So we try to, we try to treat um, God like that. like we you know, we, we got to show God how much we love him. Yeah. Just love him. Yeah. And even whenever you blow it, I mean, it didn't mean you stopped loving him that day. I mean, we just all got issues. We need help, right? (laughs) Amen. Say, I need help. help. (laughs) Look at your neighbor and say, you need help. (laughs) And the person who knows they do is, is, is the one who's going to be most susceptible to receiving from God that help that they need. The Bible says that God resists, he resists the proud. How many like to read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8? The love of God. Yes. Amen. How many of you have ever read that and said, oh, thank God I don't deal with that one? <laughs> it's pride to read First Corinthians chapter 13 and say, I'm glad I never had to deal with that one. Huh. Did that hit the nail on the head over there? No. <laughs> and so I need, I need help too. You know, I mean... You know, what it is is it's a diversion. We want to look at what we don't struggle with so we don't have to look at what we are struggling with. And we think that other people's struggles are worse than our struggles. Well, I do have sin, but at least it's not like their sin, right? And so what that does is it dismisses dismisses us from our um, responsibility to deal with, with what's going on in our own life. And if we would just humble ourselves and say, God, I need help. Why would you say, I need help? Here's the answer. Because you tried and failed. You know you couldn't make it. Now, some people try 9,900 times. Is that a number? Yeah, 99 99 times or 9,900 times before they finally figured it out. Man, I need help. Other people are smarter. And they try it once. Okay, there's other ways I could twice, three times, and you're just like, okay, I quit, because I, I, I do have other thoughts of ways I could do this, but I don't think I could keep affording these consequences. Don't keep pressing forward on your own just because you got another idea you haven't tried. Weigh out the consequences from the times you tried and failed and determine, do I want this again? Because it's not just affecting me. It's not just affecting my finances. This is affecting my children. This is uh, affecting my marriage. I wasn't planning on saying none of this this morning, but this is for somebody. I believe it's for everybody in one area or another. But you gotta not just think, well, I still can try this again. I got other options, I've got other thoughts. I can make this on my own. I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps, you know. No man gave me nothing. Mm. We carry that same attitude over when it comes to, to God. We don't think that He's just going to freely give us something. Amen. Praise God. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. He just gave His love away. Yeah. Amen. He just gave it away. Amen. Salvation is a gift. It's not a wage. Praise God. So, so just this morning, if you need to do that, just determine in your heart right now, I, I am not going to pursue my own way anymore. See, we think it's noble to want to do the right thing, and it's, it's right to want to do the right thing, but if you're depending on your ability to carry that out, that's where the issue is. We know you don't want to go murder anybody, we, you know, I hope. You know, maybe you thought about it. Um, you know, don't look at nobody. <laughs> but you, we know you don't want to, you know, rob a bank, okay? You want to do what's right. But God is concerned with how you're gonna go about doing that. How are you gonna do what's right? You know, one of the things that Jesus was most criticized over was his willingness to be close to sinners, his willingness to eat with sinners and to talk with prostitutes and love on them. And he was, he was criticized by the religious Pharisees for sitting and eating with sinners. How could he? He was sweet to them. You remember whenever, whenever the Pharisees threw down that woman caught in the act of adultery at Jesus' feet? And they said, the law of Moses says she should be stoned. What do you say? Boy, they just knew they were going to have Jesus caught in a trap. And Jesus never, never, never corrected her or rebuked her because it wasn't the right setting. Besides, she didn't. the only people that need to be rebuked are the people who know to do right and have the means to do right and are preaching to others to do right, yet themselves are not doing right. But the person who says, man, I am in bondage. I need help. He's not going to say, well, you sorry, sinful thing, you. But that's what the religious Pharisees were doing, and that's what they wanted Jesus to do. According to the law of Moses, she should be stoned. What do you say? But Jesus never and he actually did it in such a wise way. It has to be the Holy Ghost to ever help us in these kind of ways because he was able to, to shut them up and not give them anything to accuse him of. He just simply made a statement. Notice Jesus didn't feel like he had to answer everybody's question. He never answered the question. The law of Moses says she should be stoned. What do you say? He never answered that. He just got up from you know, doodling in the dirt. He could take his own sweet time, just wear people out. Just, they're just all tied up in nuts. Why ain't he saying anything? You know, he, we got him right where we want him. All he has to do is open his mouth. Oh, man. You know, you, and he gets something. Okay, we're about to get him. He says, he that's without sin, let him cast the first stone. Don't you love Jesus. Jesus wasn't just this little sweet, little wimpy, uh, pointy toed guy wearing dresses like they got him painted up. He was a man. Amen. And he would tell people how to cow eat the cabbage when it came time. He said, You brood of vipers to those Pharisees. You whited sepulcher. That's where they put dead people. It was beautiful sparkly on the outside he said but on the inside you're full of dead men's bones he said you're like a cup that's beautiful on the outside but it's filthy on the inside i mean jesus let him have it so the only thing that jesus actually hates worse than unrighteousness is self-righteousness and what is self-righteousness is i can do it on my own i can make it i don't need anybody's help that self righteousness and the Bible says that self-righteousness or our righteousness is as a what a filthy rag go do a Hebrew study on that your righteousness is as filthy rags I used to think that meant well when I read that my righteousness is as a filthy rag I read that and I'd say oh I know Lord I'm so unworthy I you know But it wasn't even just, I mean, it's amazing what you learn. You think you should have known years before. But I saw that one day by revelation knowledge. And it was like the Lord said, did you notice I did not say your unrighteousness was as a filthy rag? I said your righteousness. So here I was reading that my righteousness is as a filthy rag. And I'd say, oh, Lord, I know I'm just so unworthy. But that what he was saying was at my best. It's a filthy rag. So Jesus was not preaching, God was not talking to the, the, the unrighteous. He was uh, talking to those who thought they were righteous and had a right to have an audience before the Father. That's where the correction comes in. That's where the harshness comes in. And if you've been criticized, if you have been uh, beat down by religion and religious people, I'm here to tell you this morning, that is not from the Holy Spirit of God. Now, God will talk to you about sin, but it will not be the setting that religious Pharisees create. He did not say a word to that woman about her sin while they were present. But when he said, he that's without sin, let him cast the first stone. They all, from the eldest to the youngest, because the older ones had a little bit more sense and wisdom. Yeah, boy, he got his own that one. in. And the young ones are still like, no, I got this still, I got this still. And then they're like the only two young guys left over there. All right, since you guys are going, I'm going to go too. But Jesus never answered them. He didn't feel like he had to answer them. He just said, he that's without sin, let him cast the first stone. Well, they all left. Put them in their place. He revealed to them that you're not righteous as you think you are. And listen, 99% righteous is unrighteous. Right? 99.9% righteous is still unrighteousness. You can't do it on your own. If you ever managed to do it on your own, it would still be a stink in the nostrils of God because it's too great a price that was paid to secure our redemption for God to give it to you another way. That our righteousness, now nobody has ever lived a righteous life, but what God is saying is that even if you were to manage to live perfectly without spot or blemish, without negative... uh, impure thoughts in your whole life never a word spoken or or a deed done outside of, of, of care and concern for others you would still go to hell because your righteousness is as filthy rags the Pharisees thought that God gave the law so that they could fulfill it and be accepted by God but that's not why God gave the law Here's why God gave the law. God gave the law, which is God's standard for living. Anybody think they could meet that? Mm -mm, Never. The law was not given so that we could fulfill it, or the Old Testament people could fulfill it and then be accepted by God. That's what the religious Pharisees made out of the law. Oh, if I could just do this, this and this and this, then I'm good, I'm righteous. I'm accepted by God, I'm going to heaven. But that's not why God gave the law. Here's the reason why God gave the law. God gave the law so that arrogant, self-righteous people would find out that they're not good enough and that they'll never be able to meet the standards or come up to the standards of God's expectations. So the law really wasn't even given to beat us down with a rod of, of, of rebuke or anger. It was simply given to us as a reminder of our inability to perform on our own. But what self-righteous people do is they say, I got that, I can do that. That's not what it was given for so you could, okay, make it on your checklist, I did this, I did this, I did this. It was given so that you could recognize your need for God. I'm not saying you shouldn't do those things, but when you do, it's because you grew. And the work of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you is overcoming and overtaking the flesh and the desires of the flesh, and you grow out of these things. It's not just you gritting your teeth and making it through the day, wanting to, but just knowing you can't and you shouldn't. That that's not deliverance. <laughs> I remember somebody talking about a guy who uh, who was real proud. You know, he said he said um, I hadn't had a cigarette in three months. He said, there hadn't been a day go by that I didn't want one. That's not deliverance. That's just a man without a smoke. (laughs) You know what I mean? I mean, that's not deliverance. Deliverance is when you don't even want it no more. Amen. Amen. And I only bring that up to bring up the example of the desire has to change before you're really delivered. It's not my business if that's what you do. And that may not even be what the Holy Spirit's dealing with you about right now. So I'm not even condemning nobody or preaching that to nobody. Don't you be smoking. Sometimes God can be closer to a person who smokes and He can a person who don't and goes to church every Sunday. God can be closer to a person sitting on a bar stool in a bar drinking a Michelob than He can some people sitting in church every week that haven't touched alcohol in 50 years. I said it and I'm not taking it back because it's true. I side in with Jesus, not the Pharisee. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. How can I be so bold about this? How can I be so confident about this? Because he's been merciful to me. Yeah. I'm not perfect. I need a lot of help. Ask my wife. How many of you has God been merciful to you? Yes. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. Glory to God. So, Jesus didn't say a word to this woman about her sin in the presence of her accusers, in the atmosphere that was set by her accusers. He was not going to eat out of their plate. He never felt like he had to answer their question. He said something back to them. He, asked, he responded to their question with a question or with a statement. Either a question or a statement is how Jesus responded to self-righteous hypocrites. You know, that's the reason why Joel Osteen catches so much flack. I love Joel Osteen's ministry. You know, Joel just has a bunch of haters. They're just mad because their church ain't as big as his church. That's really all it amounts to. Joel is one of the most anointed men to bring the love of God and encouragement to the body of Christ. And for people like the woman caught in the act of adultery to receive ministry. Joel don't talk enough about sin. That's because he's talking to women caught in acts of adultery who want deliverance, who want out. They're not trying to mask or hide their sin. That, and, and here's the key, as a minister, you gotta know what your ministry is. Brother Hagan said, stay in your lane. That's what he called it. Stay in your lane. It doesn't mean that you ignore or minimize sin. It means you know what your calling is. And if I start speaking in all these other arenas, I lose my influence and my impact where I'm called to be. I love Joel Osteen's ministry. He's an example of God's love, God's encouragement to the body of Christ, which includes all of us in one area or another or at some time or another that we need encouragement, that we need help, amen. And God has just been so good to me. He's been so merciful to me. That's the reason why I'm able to tell you so boldly and so plainly these things. Because God has called me to get God's people out of the prisons of religious bondage. People that's just locked up and feel like God's mad at them all the time. God's not mad at you. He's not angry at you. He loves you. Amen. With all of his love, glory to God, Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Let's just thank Him and worship Him. Continue to thank Him and worship Him. Thank you, Lord. We just uh, purpose to let the Holy Spirit have His way here at Family Harvest Church. My plans can just go out the window, our schedule can go out the window. Lord, we want you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I just sense the Holy Spirit is wanting to continue to minister. The Holy Spirit ministers through the Word of God, but He also ministers through impartation, spiritual blessing. And if that word struck a chord with you, I want you to come up here. The Holy Spirit has directed me to lay hands on you. And when I lay my hands on you, there's going to come a strengthening on the inside of you to empower you to overcome to overcome those, th- that sense of guilt, that sense of shame, what I'm asking is that a revelation of the blood of Jesus will come into your heart the moment hands are laid on you and that you will never be the same again. I believe that you'll never be the same again. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Never again are you going to allow yourself to be beat up by guilt and shame, sense of inferiority, But from this day forward, you'll be able to enter into the presence of God in a boldness like you've never been able to enter in. Because you know that it's by the blood of Jesus and by the blood only that you have access. None of your efforts amount to anything. Hallelujah. Say, God is helping me. He's maturing me. He's strengthening me. The right people are being sent into my life. And the, and the wrong people are being dismissed. I choose to let them go. I choose to let them go. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. You got to know who to let go. We're going to receive communion this morning together. You guys can go ahead and pass these elements out and then we'll get the pulpit in a minute. Thank you, gentlemen. Praise God. When you, when you receive the elements, let's just hold on to them and we'll receive communion together as a church, okay? Praise God. You know, just here at the beginning of the new year, 2018, I believe God is wanting to give us a fresh start in our relationship with Him. And through receiving communion, we're acknowledging um, the value of the blood of Jesus. We're acknowledging the, the value and the significance of, of the broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ, that it was His sacrifice that made our deliverance possible, that made it available to us to receive freely without earning it, without deserving it. We enter in by the blood, nothing more and nothing less than the blood of Jesus and His sacrifice on the cross. Jesus prayed to the Father, Just before he was to be taken and crucified. And he said, he said, sacrifices and burnt offerings uh, you did not desire. He said, but a body you have prepared for me. A body you have prepared for me. That body of his, not the body of a bull, a ram, a turtle dove, or a goat. But his own body was to be broken, was to be sacrificed for the sins of the world. And so that our bodies didn't have to be broken. So that our hearts didn't have to be broken. So that we could be cleansed from our sin. Amen. When the blood of Jesus cleanses us from sin, there was a second cleansing that took place as well. The blood of Jesus not only removed the sin, it removed the stain of the guilt. Like the hymn says, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from the guilty stains. Amen? And so it's the guilt that's associated with the sin that the blood of Jesus can overcome as well. Amen. In Isaiah, God says, he says, their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. Have you ever heard those atheists on YouTube, you know, uh, is there anything God can't do? It can God create a rock he can't move? You ever heard stupid stuff like that, you know? Um, I mean, the answer to that is he's God. He probably could if he wanted to, you know. I mean, that's just a stupid argument. But, I mean, we would think that there was nothing impossible for God. But God says, I will remember your sins and your iniquities no more. Do you think he was exaggerating? He says, I do not remember that. So time after time, when we go to God with the same old sin, oh God, I'm so sorry again, I just, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so, he's like, what, what sin? God forgot it until you reminded him about it. And he would, quite frankly, he would wish that you would quit bringing it up because it starts to become a devaluing of the value of the sacrifice that was paid for you to keep bringing up that sin. And and it's an obvious sign of your lack of revelation of what that blood has accomplished. And when you should know better, when you should act different towards God and coming into his presence, it's not so enjoyable to God. It grieves the spirit of God for you to keep on bringing up that sin to God after you've already confessed it. He said he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So Isaiah says that, uh, or God says through the prophet Isaiah, he said their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. So get this, if the blood of Jesus is strong enough, no, this is a better way of saying it. That was under the blood of the bulls and goats. Their sins and their iniquities I'll remember no more. Well, if the blood of a bull or a goat was enough to remove your sin from the memory of God, I believe that the blood of Jesus is strong enough to remove it from your mind. If the blood of Jesus can remove it from God's mind, you know it can remove it from your mind. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Now, there's a cleansing. That that means that there's a process. It's just not gone instant. The, The blood of Jesus cleanses, right? We're not talking about a magic trick. Because Instantly, spiritually, you are clean, you are forgiven, you are standing righteous before the Father. But there's a cleansing process for your soul and, and the desires of the flesh. So you've got to continue daily to let the blood of Jesus and the revelation of that blood to wash over your mind, to wash over your soul. Amen? Amen. And, and so that eventually you too have no longer remembrance of that sin. Because the remembrance... Um, it, it, it causes guilt, it causes shame, and you feel, it might have been 10 years ago, but when that memory comes, you feel just as guilty as you did the day you committed it. That's satanic. You see, the Holy Spirit brings conviction, it's the devil who brings condemnation. How do I know the difference between one or the other? Well, conviction is before you repent. Condemnation comes after. Well, I mean, he'll try to slip in that condemnation before too, but you, but, but you know the Holy Spirit's working with you. Jesus said the Holy Spirit was sent into the world to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. So that is, we like to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit. The, the, one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to let you be aware that you're missing the mark. And it's not because he's angry. It's just like you would hope that your friend would tell you you're going the wrong way if you're going the wrong way and knowing you want to go in the right way. Amen. But a proud person, a self-righteous person, views all correction as condemnation. Stop judging me. You know, if you were to drive from here to, you know, Minnesota somewhere, and your friend knew you was on the wrong road, would you think they were judging you to tell you, hey, you know, you, 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 I'm sure you don't know, it, but you're about 20 miles on the wrong highway. You missed a turn. I mean, a humble person, you'd probably feel stupid, but at least you're still thankful. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh my God, but some people are just so proud, you know, they don't want to admit when they're wrong, so they just put the foot on the gas and go even faster the wrong way. (laughs) It's just stupid, amen. So what we're doing this morning, we're receiving communion, and we're acknowledging the power of the blood to cleanse sin, And even remove the memory of that sin, that stain, that guilty stain from our remembrance. Amen. And while that thing tries to crop back up in your mind every once in a while, you still know better than to yield to it. No, I'm not having that thought. No, I'm not taking that thought. I'm redeemed. I'm cleansed. I'm made righteous in Christ. That was not my sin. The Apostle Paul knew how to keep condemnation from coming on him when the uh, sins of the past were brought to his remembrance. He, he called it the old man. And he said, the, the sin I commit, he said, it's not I that do it, it's the flesh. Now he knew he was responsible for his actions. He wasn't shucking his responsibilities. Well, <coughs> oh, it's just the flesh's fault. you know. No, but when it came to the enemy dealing with him, That wasn't me. When it's God, God, I'm sorry. But if the devil's messing with me, that wasn't me. You're not talking to the same man. You see that? I'm talking to God with the new man. So don't allow the devil to talk to you from the perspective of the old man. Amen. Say that wasn't me. Amen. Praise God. How many has ever been in court? How many of ever w- liked to watch court movies like, you know, um, um, Colum- you know, not Columbo, he was a detective. Um, I'm thinking of. Matlock. Matlock, thank you. I, I-, I love Matlock, you know. Um, but the-, the attorneys, they'll talk to their clients and they say, now when, you know, when they ask you this, you don't answer that. So the key to winning your case is knowing what to say, how to say it, and what not to respond to. So they say, if they ask you about this, even if you were guilty of it, what do they say to plead? Mm -hmm. You plead the fifth. Well, we plead the blood. I don't have to talk to the devil about my sin. Amen. Don't allow allow the devil to talk to you about your sin. That's what he wants to talk to you about all the time. Amen. But you just plead the blood. You're not saying I didn't do it, you're just saying I plead the blood. Amen. You're not trying to hide it because you already had your talk with God. And the sooner you can get to God with your sin, the less space the devil has to bring condemnation on you. But when you allow one day to go by, two days, a week, a month, a year, he can actually bring so much shame to you that he will sidetrack you from your assignment and you'll never fulfill it. Not because God pulled it from you. The gifts and the callings of God are without repentance, but if you continually live in an unrepentant state, refusing to acknowledge your wrong, your own guilt and shame will condemn you. You won't even need the devil to do it for you anymore because you know, amen. But God's got a high and mighty calling on every one of our lives. He doesn't require perfection. He just requires humility. Where 1 John 1, 9 says, if, if we confess our sins, not hide them, not pretend they're not there, but if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanses, cleanses, cleanses of all unrighteousness. Well, Pastor, I thought, that, I thought that when I got saved, he cleansed me from my unrighteousness. He's not talking about the unrighteousness of the old man. He's talking about the consciousness. The blood of Jesus cleanses from all unrighteous consciousness. The sins of your spirit have been dealt with. The old man is dead. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. But we still got our soulish realm to deal with. We still have our mind, our will, and our emotions to deal with. And so it's not God condemning us when we sin, it's, it's the guilt and the shame associated with the wrongdoing. So when we confess that to God, we leave nothing else left in the hands of the devil to condemn us with. That's why Paul said, there is therefore now no condemnation, not from God, not from the devil, not even from yourself, for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. For those who walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. The person who's walking after the Spirit recognizes quickly and acknowledges quickly when they've missed it and they go directly to God. That's walking in the spirit. But did you know you're, you're walking in the spirit when you're coming back to God just as much as you're in the spirit when you're with him? There'll never be anybody walking the flesh coming back to God. So actually even coming back to God from a fallen place is walking in the spirit. So if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He's not talking about the sins that was judging us to hell. That was all cleansed once and for all. The Bible says Jesus entered into the holy place once and having obtained an eternal redemption for us, not an annual, not a weekly Not biweekly, but Jesus obtained once. He entered in once into the holy place, offered up his own body once for the sins of the world, and in doing so he obtained, after one time, he obtained an eternal redemption. In other words, there is no expiration date on this sacrifice. So we're not talking about the sins that condemned you and I to hell that we're cleansed of when we confess our sins. And, And people that don't understand that think that they lose their salvation every time they sin. And so confession your sin gets you saved again. No, you don't lose your salvation when you sin, but it's because we're saved that we have access to His grace, His mercy, His forgiveness. Amen. All we're doing, we're not trying to restore the relationship, we're, we're, we're working with the fellowship. You can be in a blood relative with somebody and only time you see them is thanksgiving. There's relationship, but there ain't no fellowship. You know, well, there's no reason you and I should not have intimate fellowship with our Father that we are in blood relation with. Amen. Glory to God. I was just reading and meditating, and I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It says that we are one spirit with Him. We are one spirit with God. In God's eyes, in God's mind, You and him, we are all one in him. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. All right, so Jesus' body was broken so that our bodies would not have to be broken. And we have been redeemed from the curse of the law. And that curse includes uh, poverty and lack, sickness and disease, And spiritual death and we've been redeemed from all three of those categories (laughs) and it's through the broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ that we have been redeemed from sickness and disease and so right now let's break the bread together symbolic of the body broken body of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ amen and when we partake of this here in just a second when we partake of this we're saying I take in all that his broken body means to me, that I take in the significance of his sacrifice. All right, let's partake together. And then there in Corinthians it says, after this he took the cup and said, this is the, the, my blood that was, that was shed for you. Lord, we thank you for your blood. You said in your word that without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins. I thank you that our sin and its effects have gone into remission. Thank you, Lord. And by constantly acknowledging the power of your blood in our lives, we keep it in remission. We keep it from cropping back up in our mind, in our emotions, in our thought life. Holding back the guilt and the shame through a constant acknowledgement of our redemption in you, Lord Jesus, and the power of your shed blood. In Jesus' name, all right, let's partake together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. We are blessed by the word and the ministry of the Holy Spirit today. Isn't God good? Thank you, Lord.